Well, good morning, church. Are we, are we glad to be at church today at all? Are we, ready to, are we ready to get our eyes on Jesus this morning? That's a better question, right? Are we ready to get our eyes on Jesus today at both locations? Make some noise if you're ready. Man, we're, we're in a series today, um, uh, Road to Redemption, where we are, we're in Exodus chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and get those out. Um, we're in Exodus, and Jesus hasn't really shown up on the scene here on earth like we know in the New Testament, but I'm just gonna go ahead and kind of throw it out there and lay it out there for everybody. We're gonna see Jesus this morning. We're gonna see him all over every verse in scripture. In fact, some of you today, I'm believing with everything in me that some of you are gonna meet Jesus for the first time. He's pretty awesome, by the way. And, uh, and you're gonna meet him and he's gonna change your life today. He's gonna meet you right in the middle of Exodus 19. And uh, so I can't wait to be here. And, and I, I'm so glad to be here as always. I wanna welcome those of you who are watching online, those of you at our Knoxville location. We love you. We are excited to see Jesus with you all here today as well. But I wanna start off today with one simple question, okay? And, uh, and the question really is, why did God save me? Now, you may not know me. I'm Landon, by the way. I'm one of our pastors here. And, uh, but, but I want to kind of talk to you about a little bit about my story here at the beginning. So I, I've grown up in church really my whole life. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. My family was always involved in, in church. And I, I went to a, a private Christian school, K through 12. And uh, so I, I've grown up around Jesus. I've grown up around church. I, 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 I memorized the songs as a kid. And, and like that was just kind of grew up in Christian culture, but you know, I kind of get into my life and start going through school and going through middle school and high school. And, and, you know, I really didn't really care that much about Jesus. Like it was just kind of a tradition, right? If you've grown up in the South, if you've grown up in that culture, you, you understand what I'm talking about. Uh, but you know, I, I go into, go into middle school and, uh, I, I wasn't saved. I, I knew about Jesus, but, but he wasn't like the authority of my life. In fact, here's, here's a picture of, of middle school Landon. All right, yeah. I mean, look at, look at the flow here. Like I did it before Justin Bieber did, just so everybody knows. Uh, but, you know, so I, I, I'm playing football. I'm going through middle school and I'm doing my, my whole thing. And, uh, you know, I hear about this youth group on Wednesday night. Now, I, I would love to take a poll here. How many of you all, like, you gave your life to Christ in like youth group or college ministry, okay? All right, a ton of hands in the room. That's pretty cool. And so I got invited to youth group. Okay, and I was invited to come on Wednesday night, but I was invited by a very particular person to come to youth group, and it just happened to be this cheerleader here, okay? Now, this cheerleader, I was like, yeah, I'll come to church with you. Like, well, we can, I'll lay hands on you. We can speak in tongues. Like, I don't care. I'll go to church with you. I'll sit beside you. And uh, so she invited me to church and, and uh, we started liking each other in eighth grade. And then she dumped me. Yeah. Uh, she didn't just dump me. She dumped me for another guy on the football team. Yeah. Not just any guy on the football team, but the guy who was competing for the same starting position as me. Uh, and, uh, you know, so she dumped me after two days. It was a breakup, big breakup, rocked the whole world. Uh, the MySpace world at the time was just really talking about it. Um, and, uh, but you know, I just kind of stuck around at church at that time. And, uh, and then later, of course, this is my wife. This is not just some random middle school girl. Um, and, uh, <laughs> 
be a little creepy to start off church this morning, uh, but we ended up getting married, uh, gosh, like six years after we started dating in eighth grade, uh, and, uh, but, but I just kind of stuck around at church. I just kind of stayed in youth group, and, and then somewhere when I was around 15 or 16 years old, uh, God saved me, and God met me at a, at a, at a youth camp, and, and God changed my life forever. And the question I'm going back to that I want you to really ask yourself today, not just about me, but why did God save me? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. Why did God save you? In fact, I think it's something we should all ask ourselves this morning. Why did God save us? Now think about this. There are 3.8 billion people on planet earth or I'm sorry, who, who are on planet earth who don't know Jesus. And not even do they not know Jesus, many of them don't have a Bible in their language. And many of them don't even have the opportunity. It's not like people who like, oh, I grew up in church, but I've rejected Jesus. There's 3.8 billion people who are unengaged, unreached, and are lost. And for some reason, God in his infinite wisdom decided to save you this morning. Maybe he hasn't. Well, maybe today's your day. Well, why did he do that? Why out of all the billions of people did he decide to come to us stuck in our sin, stuck in our issues with our addictions and meet us on this road to redemption and save us? Why did he do that? Now, if you've grown up in church, your whole life, if you've grown up in, in a church culture or a Christian tradition, you, you might know the answer to this, or you might think that you know the answer. And, and so let's do a little uh, let's do a little crowd participation here, okay? At both locations, I want you to help me finish this, this statement, okay? All right. God saved us because he loves us. Now that's a great thing to know, that God loves you. And I want you to know, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're at today, no matter your church background, no matter if you were high last night or, or, or you're in the middle of a divorce or you're in the middle of addiction, I want you to know that God loves you. He is crazy about you. He cares for you. And, and, and I grew up in the church knowing that, yes, God loves me. But, but here's the question I want to pose. I'm just going to be honest. I might make it a little bit awkward in the room for a moment this morning. And I want to just kind of just kind of launch this grenade out there and see how it happens in the room, okay? I'm going to ask you this question. What if the reason God saved you is not because he loves you? You might think, okay, you got me hooked now. <laughs> what, what if the reason, the reason God saved you is not because he loves you? What do we do with that? How do we answer that? Hmm. So today, to help us figure out that question, I want us to look at the life of Israel and in our series, The Road to Redemption, we have been looking at God's story of him saving his people Israel. And the question I, I, I want you to ask is the same question. What if the reason God saved you is not because he loves you? Okay, then, then why? 
Why did God save me? Why did God save us? Why did God save the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt? And I think as we look at Israel's story in Exodus, we will know why God saved you or why God wants to save you today. So if you have your Bibles, like I said, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. In this part of our redemption story, we are in the middle of a major transition moment in the life of Israel. Now, let's remind ourselves where we've been. If you haven't been with us in this series, I encourage you to go to our YouTube page and check out and follow along in the story on our website uh, as we've been preaching through this great narrative. Uh, But remember, God's people, They were enslaved by Egypt and God promises to a man named Moses through a burning bush at a mountain called Sinai that he would one day save his people and his people would come out of Egypt and worship at this mount. And so God raises up a man named Moses to confront Pharaoh to go and say, God says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And that's exactly what happens. God, through miracles and through the parting of the Red Sea, he saves his people and they walk on dry land out through the Red Sea and God saves them from Egypt. And so where we're going to find ourselves today in Exodus 19, they've gone through the Red Sea. They, they, they met with Moses's father-in-law, and and now they're in the wilderness. They're in this transition moment at the wilderness of Sinai, and here's what God says to them in verse 1. He says this, on the third moon, After the people had gone out of the land of Egypt, so they're gone from Egypt, they're walking away. Egypt is the last part of the story. We're into the new part at Sinai. He says, out of the land of Egypt on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. And there Israel encamped before the mountain. So remember, God's people were told, okay, and he promised it to Moses at the burning bush that they would one day worship at Sinai. Now they're back, they're at Sinai, they're no longer in Egypt, but God promised the people that they would go to a promised land that was said to be flowing with milk and honey. And now they find themselves here at Sinai. Now, I, I would love to hike Sinai one day. I would love to be there and see this, this incredible place. But if you're expecting milk and honey and you get a desert with a mountain that is full of snakes that are one day, as we're gonna read later in the scripture, would come out and kill thousands of people, this is not where you wanna be, right? They thought they were getting saved, but now they're at Sinai? There's no milk, there's no honey. What are you doing, Lord? And then when you look on the map, let's say Egypt is here and the promised land is here, Sinai's down here. So not only are they not going to the promised land yet, they're not even going anywhere near the promised land. They, they thought that they were being saved straight to milk and honey and now they're here. Why? Why is God doing that? I don't know if you've ever, if your salvation's ever felt anticlimactic like that. It's like, I thought that was gonna be different. I thought all my problems were gonna go away. And and now you're stuck in in wilderness and desert and you're not in the promised land. You seem to be at Sinai. Imagine how you would feel. But in the middle of that, God calls Moses to go up 
this mountain. And here's what it says in verse three. It says, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. Now you might just kind of gloss right over this, but, but remember, the holy of holies is speaking to murderous Moses. And he's not just speaking to Moses, he's speaking to Moses and through Moses to the people who were already whining and complaining about the goodness of God of saving them. So he calls them and he's speaking to man. Now, what we're seeing is what we know as the Mosaic Covenant is about to take place or the Sinai Covenant, or, or you might know it as the Old Covenant. But basically what a covenant is, and God's about to make a covenant with his people, is, is he's making an agreement between God and man. And theologian Wayne Grudem says it like this, a covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of the relationship. Now remember, man and God, they don't go together. He's holy, we are not. He's good, we are bad. We cannot be in relationship with God unless there is some sort of agreement between the two. And so God is coming to Moses and saying, I am going to show you how you can be in relationship with me. He's creating a covenant with the people and God is establishing this new relationship. And, and, and here's what it says. He says this, he goes to kind of explain the beginning of the covenant. The next several chapters are gonna explain it, but let me read you the beginning. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. So he's saying, look back. You know, you, you sought the Lord and he heard and he answered and he said, this is why you can trust me now. He's saying, I see what I, you did to the Egyptians, how I, how I stomped out their gods, how I proved myself to be more powerful, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, I love this imagery of, uh, he says, you were on the back of an eagle, all right? Well, we can say it for Americans, you were riding on the back of a bald eagle, amen? Like, what red-blooded American doesn't want to do that? But let's remember, you don't really provide much if you're riding on the back of an eagle. You kind of just sit there. You kind of just soar and go. He's not saying, hey, you, you pulled yourselves up by your bootstraps and got yourselves out of Egypt. You, you did this. You got your freedom. He's saying, no, no, you didn't get your freedom. You rode on the back of the eagle with Uncle Sam, all right? This is, you didn't contribute anything to this relationship. I bore you out of that pit and you just sat there and rode. And so he's reminding them of what he's done. And then he says, this. He says, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my commandments, you shall be my treasured possessions among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you shall speak to the people. He's telling them. Now, there's a commentator as he's, as, who, who's like a commentator is basically like a theologian of the Bible who's, who's seeing what, what's happening here. And Alex Mortier in his commentary, he says that understanding this verse here and the verse prior is critical to understanding the pattern of salvation in all of scripture. He says to look at the pattern here. He says, the first thing is you need to see is look at what the Lord has done. The Lord has saved you out of Egypt. He has brought salvation. And he says the second part of the sequence, and, and you can't mix these up, is 
here's what the Lord requires. And if you do what the Lord requires, then you will see what the Lord promises. And he says that this sequence of salvation is the sequence and critical to understanding every part of salvation. And nothing must ever be allowed to upset this order. Now, how often do we try to upset this order? How often do we think if I can obey God, if I can obey God enough, if I can be good enough, then he will deliver me from sin. And then maybe I'll get the blessing of God. And we can't change that order. See, the reason God, God is saving you and then we can obey God. We cannot obey God enough to get his salvation. There's nothing you can do to deserve that salvation. It's something that God does. And it goes back and he says this in verse, he says, here's, here's what you're going to be if, if you will obey my voice. He says, you'll be my treasured possession. He said, you're gonna be a kingdom of priests. He said, you're gonna be a holy nation. So I wanna talk about each of those. What about a treasured possession? Do you have a treasured possession? Something you love, something that, that you just love to show off and everybody knows you have it. Maybe it was an heirloom or, or, or okay, let's, let's, we can put it like this. Uh, do you have a boat? Okay. Or do you have a CrossFit membership? Guess what? Everybody around you probably knows already, right? Because things that we, we love and things that we treasure, guess what? Well, we like to show them off. Like, let's just be honest for a moment, parents in the room, all right? You don't post pictures of your kids because you're like trying to chronicle their digital life for a scrapbook one day. We post cool things of our kids, why? Because it makes us look cool. Like, let's just be real sometimes because we're proud of them. And I'm not saying it's a, a bad thing. I'm not saying that having nice things or being proud of your treasured possessions are a bad thing. That's not necessarily what I'm saying, but I'm just saying that we often will show off the things that we hold dear the most because it makes us look great. It gives us glory. And he is saying, you are going to be my treasured possession. You're going to make me look glorious as you follow me. And then he says, you're gonna be a kingdom of priests. Okay, do you know what a priest does? A priest has access to God, but they also bring people to God. So a priest can approach the glory of God and then on their behalf, bring others in to experience the glory of God, which then in turn produces more glory to God. And he is saying, you're gonna be a kingdom of priests. You are going to bring other nations in to give God glory. And then he says this, he says, you're a holy nation. Now, a lot of people, when they think about the Old Testament, they think that God only loves the Jews. And then it wasn't until the New Testament when Jesus comes on the scene that the Gentiles are now loved by God. But that's just not the case. And, and, and so the reason that God calls Israel to be a holy nation was to show the entire world to be a light to every other nation to show them this is how glorious and how awesome it is to follow Yahweh. He's saying you're a holy nation, a light to all the other nations. Do you see a theme here of what he's trying to create Israel to be? 
He's saying, God wants the glory. God created the people for his glory, and God is about to come to Sinai for his glory. So we're going to read a couple of segments here as we finish out this passage. It says, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded. And all the people answered and together said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So they're agreeing to the covenant. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe with you. So, so the Lord God is coming. It says in verse seven, so Moses told the words of the people to, or told the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down the mountain of Sinai inside of all the people and you shall set limits for the people all around saying to them, go to the next verse here, Take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. For whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch it, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they will come up the mountain. So he's telling them, God's coming to the mountain. He's he's coming down. And you better be ready because holy, holy God and unholy man they're not going to mix together and you need to be ready for that third day when he comes. And he says this in the next verse, he says, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and they consecrated the people and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day and do not go near a woman. So he's telling them the ceremonial things that they must do to be clean because on the third day, the glory of God is coming. Now here's why I love I just said Jesus is all over the third, all over the Old Testament. Because maybe I'm reading this out of context, but I just find it interesting that in this place where the glory of God is coming down, God keeps saying, you better be ready for the third day. Have you ever noticed that? Because guess what? There'd be another people in the New Testament who weren't ready for the third day that they needed to be ready for the third day because the glory of God was coming and the, 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 the presence and essence of God was going to come on that third day and he was going to come and all the world would get to watch and see and they needed to be ready for that third day. Now, this is the presence of God is coming. This is what theologians might know as the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory means the very presence and essence of God is about to dwell amongst man. The Shekinah glory is coming and you need to be ready. And I love how Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, he says that you can't just approach it because God is not warm and fuzzies. He's not just, oh, just come to me. No, there's a process. There's a way that you must come to God. And he's saying, you need to be ready. And so goes in verse 16 it says on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud and the very loud trumpet blast so all the people of the camp trembled then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire the Shekinah glory and it says and the smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and Moses spoke 
And God answered him in thunder. And in verse 20, we finish up the passage and it says, And the Lord came down the Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So, a lot has happened here. Sinai is wrapped in smoke. Imagine you walk outside and you look at the Smoky Mountains and they're wrapped in fire and, and the ground begins to shake. What is going on here? This is, can be a confusing passage. So the question I want us to ask is, why is God doing what he does in Exodus 19? I mean, he could have done anything. What is God doing? Why did God save Israel from Egypt? Why did he choose to make a covenant with them? Why did he call them his kingdom of priests? Why did God tell them to, that he, they were gonna be a holy nation? Why did God send the Shekinah glory down to Mount Sinai? And I think that when you begin to, to look at this whole passage, you'll realize that I think it's very clear what God is doing. And it's not just from this passage, but it's every bit of, of scripture is kind of echoing the same theme. It's the, the same theme that's through the whole counsel of God's word is that God is saving or God saves people for glory, for his glory. So why did God save them from Egypt? Because he wanted to show the world how much more powerful he was and glorious he was than Egypt. Why does God make a covenant with them? Because he wants people to know how glorious his steadfast love is for his people. Why does God want them to be his treasure? Because he wants his people to show the world how glorious it is to be a part of God's people. Why does he call them a kingdom of priests or a holy nation? Because he wants them to see how glorious God is. Why does God give them the Shekinah glory, the very presence and essence? Because he wants them to believe with their own eyes that God's glory is better than any milk and honey or anything they could ever want. And I'm just saying, you'd better be ready for the third day because the Shekinah glory is returning and his name is Jesus and he will not be wrapped in thunder and smoke. He will be wrapped in a robe with skin and bones to rescue us, his people, for the glory of his name. And we need to know that you are those same people. He is coming to us. I mean, do you see how their story is reflective of ours? Do you see how this road to redemption is the same path that, that we get to walk, that God is still saving people, you and I, for the glory of his name? See, this is the entire story of the Bible. But somewhere in our modern culture that's so me-centered, we made the story not about God and his glory, but about us. I mean, think about this. When I asked you earlier, why did God save us? Most of us said, because he loves us. But that is not the primary reason God saved you and I. And, and I mean, think about this. We made it all about us. We, we sing songs that focus on me. We, we go to churches or we listen to sermons that, that are all about me and we church shop to find the best church for me. But what if the story was never about you? I mean, I don't blame you for thinking this. I mean, I remember singing the nursery rhymes growing up. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible says, tells me so. And that's true. But have we been taught to think 
that we're the point of the story? I remember singing this song. Like I said, I grew up in church culture. We used to sing this song uh, called Above All. And, uh, you know, the lyrics said something like this. It said, crucified, laid behind the stone. You lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground. You took the fall. You thought of me above all. So my question is, did Jesus actually think of you on the cross above all? And if so, what does that say about God? Does that make him an idolater? If that's true? A professor asked me that once and it honestly blew my mind. It started to, to, to click for me for the first time. And, and, um, and, and so I wanted to kind of explain to you what I'm saying because this can be a little bit confusing. Uh, I, I have here kind of three things. Okay, uh, and, and so, you know, here, spoiler alert, here in a few chapters, the people of God are gonna begin to worship a golden calf. Um, and so I brought out an, an idol. We'll talk about what an idol is here in a moment. Also brought out a family picture. This will just kind of represent me and really us. And then I'll have my Bible here to represent God, okay? Uh, now, an idol. Now, here's what an idol is. An idol is anything we love more than God. So you could, you know, this golden calf could be sex, money, power, fame, fortune, whatever it is for you, it could be, uh, you know, it's an idol, okay? Now, here, here's what, what happens, okay? Uh, if, let's say that, here's me, what I'm called to do is I'm called to give all of my time, talents, and treasures and my very best to love God above all. That is called worship, not idolatry. But the moment... I begin to give my time, my talents, my treasures, and my very best to something other than God, I become an idolater. Why? Because I am worshiping something that is not ultimately worthy of my worship. Now, let's imagine for a moment, God begins to give all of his time, talents, treasures, and his very best to love and serve this golden calf above all. That would make God an idolater. And he is no idolater because God cannot sin. So this could never happen. It's not in his very nature but somehow we have made the story of scripture to say that God gives all of his time, talents, treasures, and his very best, namely God the Son, Jesus Christ, to love us above all. And if that is true, then God is an idolater because God is worshiping something that is not worthy of worship. So where does that leave us then? Because what does that mean? My point is that God loves you. God is for you. But God is primarily for the glory of his own name. Anything other than that makes him an idolater. 
See, he loves you, but he is primarily for God. God saves you to bring glory to his own name because that's the only thing worthy of glory. God loves you, but he loves God. See, the pushback often gives, doesn't this make God selfish? But it's not selfish to love and worship and glorify the only thing worthy of worship and glory. See, you and I have to realize that God is for God. And only when we do that can we see why the gospel is such good news. If, you've not, if this hasn't clicked for you yet, then the gospel hasn't clicked for you yet. See, only when we can see that God is for God can we, can we see it. Let me just kind of break it down for you. See, when you realize that God is for God, there's three things that happen. The first thing is this, the pressure is lifted off your life. You know, you know, we want to have some pressure. You want to be anxious, make life all about you. Here's what you'll do. You'll overanalyze everything you'll try to achieve and you'll try to, try to achieve being God's treasure instead of just living as his treasured people. It'll lift the pressure off of you when you realize that everything's about God's glory. And when you realize that, that God is for God, the, the purpose is clear. You realize that God's chief end is to glorify himself and us to enjoy him forever. When you realize that makes your purpose in life very, very clear because you, you, you wanna live a life that's, that's really frustrating, then live your life searching for meaning. But since God is for God, that means we exist for him, which means our purpose is clear. We exist to glorify God. And then when you realize that God is for God, the promise is secure. See, you wanna be hopeless? Live your life hoping there's a God who loves you. See, when we do this, we live with shame and embarrassment and insecurity. But when we realize that God is for God, we realize that the way that God gets the most glory is to love and redeem a people who would ultimately crucify him. And now we can act like this holy nation who's been called out of sin into glory. See, Sinai is the story of every believer. We've been called out of sin. We've been saved. We've been promised blessing, but we don't obey the commandments. We break them. And we need someone to get us into a relationship with God and, and, and to make us right. But the great thing about us here today is you and I have a greater Moses. He is Jesus. The perfect sacrifice goes to God and says, the people, they can come to me. They can come up the mountain. They will not die because my blood has covered them. And no longer does Moses only get to enter into the Shekinah glory through Jesus. We all get to go into his glory and experience the presence of God. See, hear me, y'all. God will never stop loving you because God will never stop loving God. He wants to get glory from us and he would even send his own son to die to do it. That is the gospel. God will never stop loving you because God will never stop glorifying God. He is so relentless about his own glory that he will not stop at nothing. That is his love for you. And it's all about him. God doesn't save you because you are you, but because God is God. God doesn't save you because you are good, but because he is good. 
God doesn't save you because you are holy, but because he is holy. God doesn't save you because you're a big deal, but because his own glory is a big deal. God doesn't save you because God is only for you, but because God is for God, and that is good news. So my big question is this, is your life for God? Is it for God? Because the New Testament calls us to be that royal priesthood. It says it in in 2 Peter. It says, you're a royal priesthood. You, that's us. You are a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light. You were once not a people, but you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is our purpose. Jesus died for us so that we might glorify him and tell the world about it. Is your life for God? Because we have, we have two options. We can either produce glory for God here on this earth, or we can reduce it by living for ourselves. And anytime we reduce glory from God with our lives, not that we could ever take anything away from his glory, we're in what the Bible calls sin. And sin separates us from God. And we cannot go up that mountain unless we've had the blood of Jesus covering us, just like he, the blood of the lamb covered the door in Exodus. See, we want the glory We want our kids to get the glory. We want our businesses to get the glory. We make decisions so very often based upon our glory and not his. Yet God is calling us to surrender our glory and live for him. And here's the thing. Here's the truth is I love you and I want to to tell you this and it's kind of a hard truth. God will get the glory from your life. He will either get the glory from you here on earth or he will get glory from conquering your sin in hell. But here's the good news. We don't have to walk that road. We can walk the road of redemption. We can be like the children of Israel who who probably would say as they watched what happened in Exodus 19 that I was enslaved in Egypt. I was in a foreign land and the death angel, it came, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. And when I did, he bore me on eagle's wings and saved me. And Moses went up the Mount Sinai to God and God made a way for me to be free. And guess what? We get to say the same thing. I was enslaved in my sin. I was in a foreign land and I deserved to die when death came my way. But I get to take shelter under the blood of the lamb. And he bore me on eagle's wings and he saved me. And Jesus went up the Mount of Calvary and to God the Father. And he made a way for me to live. And we all get to enter that cloud now. See, that is how we meet Jesus in the middle of the Exodus. And my question for you is, are you living your life for that glory or are you living for yourself?
Because I don't know if you know this, but church and religion can easily be just another idol that makes us feel good, that makes us feel lovable. Listen, this word says God loves you. God died for you. And God wants the glory from your life. Is your life for God? There are many of us in the room at both locations right now who you're walking in sin. And my hope today is that you get a little bit of a glimpse of the glory of God. Every speck of dust has been orchestrated for his glory. But we walk and we say, God, I, I wanna live for me. I wanna do my thing. And today is your opportunity to turn and stop giving yourself glory and to give God glory and to say, save me. And in that moment, you are his people. Some of you have never been saved and today's your day. You met Jesus in Exodus 19. So both locations, I'm gonna give an opportunity for you to respond and receive Jesus right now. All we do is we come to God and we say, God, I'm living for my own glory, I'm in sin, but I wanna follow you today. And when we do, he saves us. We believe that Jesus died on the cross and that blood covers us. We believe that he rose again and we're gonna, on that third day that the whole world wasn't ready for. And when we say, Lord, forgive me and, and I wanna live for you and give you glory for the rest of my life, your life has changed in that moment. Some of you need to do that today. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. What we're gonna do is we're just gonna pray and we're gonna just confess to God that we're a sinner. And we're going to ask him to save us. And he'll bring you out of that sin and that muck and that mire and all that stuff and that addiction and that hopelessness and that anxiety that you're, you're just eating you alive. And he gives you a new purpose. Would you bow your head with me? If you say, Pastor Landon, I, I, I need to give my life to Jesus today. No more playing around. If you say that, that's me, I need to do that. Well, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to pray this with me. This prayer doesn't save you, but it is your heart that you surrender to God today. You surrender your life to him and he saves you in that moment. So if that's you in the room, I'm gonna ask you to pray this to him. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it directly to him just in the quietness of your own heart and mind. He hears you. Would you pray this? Say, say God, say, I know that you love me. Tell him that. Say, God, I know that you love me. Say, I know you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. Come into my life so that I may bring glory 
to you with mine. Save me today. I give Jesus all authority of my life. If you prayed that prayer this morning, if you prayed that prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to just, I want you to just look up at me in the room. Just look up at me. I see that. Praise God. In fact, for those of you, just because it's such a large room, would you just, would you just maybe, if, if you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just raise your hand? None of that weak elbow stuff. Just put up. I see that hand. Praise God. Anybody else? I see that hand. Praise God. Anybody else in the balcony? Praise Anybody else at all? I see there's one right over there. Praise God for that. Listen, for those of you who just raise that hand, just keep looking up at me. You just made the best decision of your life. In fact, it's such a good decision. I wanna make sure that, that you have someone to talk to today. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray here in a moment. I'm gonna pray us out. And my friend Drew is standing here at the back. Drew's gonna be waving here in the back. Uh, Drew is gonna help connect you with some, some men and some ladies who are going to be able to talk to you about this decision that you made. And I'm gonna just challenge you. Do not say seated. Stand up, go to him. He's gonna connect you with some people and we are going to celebrate it. We're gonna be so excited for you and you and you. We're gonna just be so overjoyed that you have been saved. You are now God's people. He saved you up out of Egypt today. So when I pray, I'm gonna challenge you. Don't stay seated. Stand up and go to Drew. Here it is. You ready? I'm gonna pray. Father, we love you. I pray that the people who just raised their hand would have the boldness to go talk with somebody, to go talk to Drew or go talk to our friends in the care and prayer room today. And Lord, I just pray that we as God's people would repent and turn from our sin and would follow you into the blessing that you have promised us in Exodus 19. God, we love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.